In the heart of the state of the art, at the dawn of the next stage in entertainment, you found no proscenium. found no proscenium the voice of everything immersive i'm your host noah nelson and welcome to episode 386 this week on the show we're joined by three of my favorite people to gab about immersive theater particularly la's immersive theater with and that would be graham wetterhan sarah beal and kj niece of after hours theater company Now, if that name seems familiar, it's probably for one of several reasons. Could be because of the production of One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, which was the talk of the town here a few years ago, where they created a spectacular immersive pre-show to the venerable play based on Ken Kesey's novel. And they're back to form this year with a co-production of The Tempest with Los Angeles Shakespeare Center, where both production companies are bringing their A-game for a hybrid production that is become a critical darling here in the Southland and has all kinds of folks showing up to check out the scene. Now, a quick disclosure reminder, we've partnered with After Hours a couple of times now, helping them with the Los Angeles Immersive Invitational, the 72-hour film fest style event that we are proud to work with them on. This is a fun episode recorded on stage at the Shakespeare Center of Los Angeles, where the Tempest and Immersive Experience is running through April 16th. Now, before we get into it, a few quick notes. First, this week saw some very big additions to the lineup at the Next Stage Immersive Summit coming up this June 2nd through 4th in Los Angeles. That starts with our first spotlight speaker, Wendy McClellan Anderson, the director of IP management at Riot Games. Riot are the creators of the global game phenomenon League of Legends. It's a massively multiplayer online arena that has become a genre-defining esport, and also its groundbreaking animated series spinoff, Arcane, which had its own immersive experience in the form of an event produced with Secret Cinema here in LA in 2021 that electrified gamers and immersive enthusiasts alike. Riot Games is one of the biggest game companies in the world, and their adoption of immersive as a format is one of the most exciting things to happen in the field this decade, and they're going to be here with us at the next stage. But that's not all. We've got Thomas Pintal of Moment Factory joining us to give us insight into how the award-winning production company creates large-scale immersive attractions on multiple continents. Many of you might remember Thomas from the episode we did about Astra Lumina, the Nightwalk Moment Factory produced here in LA that delighted so many of you. And then something you probably didn't see coming. Dr. Crystal Bob Semple, the CEO of Plato Learning, whose Percy Jackson Chronicles-inspired summer camps have leveraged immersive storytelling to redefine just what learning at summer camp can be. This is one we chased because there are parents in the immersive community who just talk a lot about these summer camps, and we said, hey, I think this might be one to go for. We are really ecstatic about all three of these guests who are going to help us see the full power and potential of the immersive arts 
and I suspect will inspire New Horizons for more than a few of our badge holders. Badges are on sale now, and there's never been a better time to lock down your spot because we are just two months out, just two months left to go, and there are more announcements coming. So grab them while they are hot. Meanwhile, we've been quite busy on the site here this week with a new review rundown, a review of Desert X 2023 by arts editor Laura Hess, and the return of the Immersive Five with live-action attractions and Imaginaire Duel's Brett Jackson. Speaking of Imaginaire Duel's, the next edition of the Kooky Concepts Club for Creators of Experience here in L.A. will feature a guest judge we all know well. Me. Sunday, April 23rd at 2-Bit Circus, I'll be the guest judge, while Jen Wong of 40 Watts from Nowhere, Call of Duty, and Disney's XD's Yokai Watch is the master of merriment for the event that is the closest thing you can get to a mad scientist convention in this corner of the multiverse. Finally, the Patreon campaign hit our big goal last week, keeping the newsletter open for all, but that doesn't mean we stop growing. This week, we welcome Terry Podgorski and Carmen Osor to the roles of our backers, all of whom are keeping a roof over my head and gas in my tank. Literally. Our next big campaign push will start after the Next Age Summit, but for now, remember, as little as $2 a month at patreon.com slash noproscenium not only powers the podcast and websites for no pro and everything immersive, it also gets you into our member-only Discord. If you're already a backer, drop a review on iTunes or your podcatcher of choice and share the articles you find useful on your social media platform of choice. It helps immensely. We are always no proscenium, except on Insta, we are we, where we are no underscore proscenium. As always, big thanks to our sustaining backers, Samuel Mystery, Chris Woolman, Samantha Davison, Eric Shamlin, Elaine, Daryl, John Boulette. Jay Bushman, Jerome Joseph Gentis, Tom Leonetti McGuire, Winthorne, Ryan, David Bassick, Richard Ayers, Lonnie Hanson, Lecker LeCool, the Ministry of Peculiarities, and Jan Budman. Thank you all. We're also on the lookout for community partners who are up for working out special deals for our backers. Hit me up at noah at noproscenium.com for details. We're here to help you. We are here at the Shakespeare Center of Los Angeles. Uh, we're sitting on the stage. Well, actually, inside. We're inside uh, a tree. Ariel's Hollow. Ariel's Hollow. This is her prison for 12 years. Mm-hmm. Uh, a, a kind of hollowed out, uh, n- you know, net tree action thing. A couple of voices you just heard. Uh, to my right is... Graham Wetterhon. Hi. Who is the... Hi, I'm Graham Water, and I'm the I'm the artistic director at After Hours Theater Company. And the other voice you heard, uh, this is Sarah Beal, um, and then I am an immersive designer and producer with After Hours. And next to her, whose voice you haven't heard yet is Hey, this is KJ. Um, I'm a producer with After KJ Hours. KJ what? KJ Nice. <laughs> KJ Nice, and, uh, and I am a producer with After Hours, and also help out with the marketing and all external communications, including Justin Timberlake knowledge. Yes. yes. <laughs> yes. And official, official Justin Timberlake consultant. Yeah, if you need information on JT and JB, you go to KJ. That is how it goes. Uh, and that all makes sense at the end, very, very end of the show. Um, <laughs> now we're I committed. I certainly hope so. Now we're committed. Now we're committed. We got to do the bit. Um, 
of course, uh, some of you may know, I'll probably do this in the cold open disclosure, right? Like this is not the first time um, all three of us have been in this building together because we did uh, the invitational here last year. Uh, but we're here now inside Ariel's Hollow uh, because we're on the set of the Tempest Immersive Experience, which is a co-production between y'all and the Shakespeare Center of Los Angeles. And it's been getting uh, some good buzz. Uh, L.A. Times, thumbs up or little man clapping or whatever Charles McNulty does. Uh, I don't know. I don't. Oh wow! Just I just admit, I just, I just, I, do, I just don't, I don't read normal theater reviews. <laughs> so I'll read it later. <laughs> he was, he was very kind. He was yeah, no, I heard nice. it was, he was kind in the interview and kind in person for whatever yeah, it's worth. Yeah, no, I heard, I heard uh, he liked it. So, um, and not something that happens so much uh, in the mainstream with uh, no, with, certainly, with immersive, certainly uh, not. Way it's covered here in LA. Um, but what? So what is the immersive part of this like how would you guys describe this show this like the the basic and then we'll get into the philosophy and some of the details and i got to see it the other night so i got some specific questions i feel like we best describe our usual experiences as like an immersive traditional theater hybrid yeah um we'd really try to kind of both bring um traditional audiences into um, a more immersive centric experience and vice versa um, so we kind of use our immersive elements in this show specifically as kind of an immersive onboarding experience um, with the goal to kind of make Shakespeare accessible, um, where most of our audiences have never seen Shakespeare before. Um, I would venture to say, like, even more than half of our audiences have probably never been in the theater. <laughs> um, and so we kind of use uh, the interactive elements as a way to introduce you to the characters, the themes and the overall story of the show before watching it. Yes, yeah, so, so the, this this partnership came about. Uh, the artistic director of Shakespeare Center, Ben Dunnenberg, and I, uh, I, I uh, helped them produce a, a benefit about a year ago with Al Pacino, which was a different story for a different day. Very cool experience. Um, and they were Ben has really uh, his company's been around for about thirty years, and he's always been open to uh, experimentation. And he told me one day, he said, Graham. I really want Shakespeare Center of LA to be a place for intimate, immersive encounters with the classics. And my ears perked up at that because here's a company that's been around for 30 years with a lot of resources, a lot of powerful people on their board wanting to spend their resources on something different. Um, and so he and I uh, went out to, he took he took my partner and I, my partner Michaela and I out to dinner and we started very casually coming up with you know just sort of chatting about this prospect of working together and he said well what what would what even um makes a good immersive piece and i said well usually one of the easiest uh uh one of the clearest ways to do to do an immersive piece is something that takes place in uh, in a few locations and in real time and and michaela said well tempest meets both of that you have the boat and you have the island and it takes place all in about three hours and we all kind of looked at each other and said, that's a great idea. And and that night we started working on it. Awesome. Awesome. The unities sometimes come in handy. Uh, the old theatrical unities, you know, like everything, everything in, 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 in the virtual amount of time that it would be, which became, I think, at a certain point post Shakespeare, almost like an obsession in the theater. Was it like it must be happening in real time? It must be happening in these locations. You see a lot of that in like. You know, a lot of uh, a fair amount of that happens like in Moliere and Voltaire and everything, you know, move, moving over to France. I just activated my theater history classes. Uh, 
just randomly. Uh, I'm also going to point out we're sitting on the stage. Uh, I'm like a little bit hunched over because my, my earpiece is too short. So I'm going to wind up saying weirder and weirder stuff because I'm like contorted in a way I normally aren't. I'm the one who chose to it's sit like on the It's like very Gollum of you. Yeah, yeah. We're in a little hot seas. <laughs> <laughs> Talkings about the Shakespeare's. <laughs> Here's. Sorry. Um, and... Uh, so, so you, you 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 zeroed in on Tempest, and and this is not the first time y'all have have played in sort of this this kind of sandbox, right? Like in terms of like what what Sarah was talking about, like the setup, sort of a immersive setup, and then a punchline traditional show. Yeah, this is this is very much the spiritual successor of our, our 2018's One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest that we did. Um, I think the original goal, because Shakespeare obviously is public domain, you can you can mess with it more. I think that was something that we were really hoping to get a dive into. I think that was something they're really restrictive with Cuckoo's Nest. Oh, yes, yeah. yes, because you, wow. you have to get the rights from um, that was Samuel French now Concord Theatricals. Yeah, so that was that was a licensed show. Right. Uh, we changed two words in there, and we didn't tell them that we changed two words, but it was just for logistics. We had one situation where there's a scene that said. Um, who would like to start long pause Billy talks if you're familiar with cuckoo's nest But anytime in an immersive show you said who would like to start long pause a random audience member would tell a story So we had to change it to Billy Why don't you start and then there was one number where she counted the number of hands in a vote and we just said Estimate however many hands are written instead of saying six when there was a hundred people in the room And that, and that all involved a, a heavy negotiation in order to yeah, they they, they were yeah. they were okay with those two changes, but but no, yeah, they, they yeah. any contemporary script that's licensed you can't really mess with. Yeah, no, I, I mean I know that's like standard practices. Is like I also said they're thinking like it's Ken Kesey for the love of God, you know, it's it's Mary Pranksters, it's it, it comes out of a very different cultural tradition, and the fact that it's you know shackled to the huge is you know maybe a little sad. So. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't think I don't think the Kesey estate would be the ones who have an issue with <laughs> no, that. No, well, that's my point, right? Yeah. It's like author intent, uh, notwithstanding, I suppose you'd say. Very different if you were trying to do Beckett. It'd be like, oh, nope, <laughs> just don't even, don't even try. Um, so, y'all did that, and and this is sort of your your first return to this this type of format. So. Sarah, maybe you could talk because because you're the you're lead designer here uh, on this. What did you take away from the Cuckoo's experience uh, and bring here? Like, what what is what is sort of the flow? Because for Cuckoo's Nest, there was sort of a vibe of we were the, it wasn't just like pre just pre show. Sort of like it, it covered some of the the beats of mm-hmm. of the show. Like from a technical standpoint, you know, like. Like in, in Shakespeare, you'd call it like a dumb show, yeah, right? Yeah. You know, like we went we went through the beats of the story, you know, interactively, and then we got the show. You know, it's it's the play within the play type type vibe. This is not that. Mm-hmm. So, um, maybe both. Why is this not that? And then and was it? Yeah, why is this not that? Yeah, I mean, I think every show you you can't just kind of copy and paste from show to show. You have to tailor it around to what's the needs of the show and like kind of what are our tools to work with. And that comes down to like spaces, settings, what is the role of the audience member um, and where does the show start and how can we play off of that? Um, And so I think with this show, the first thing that we decided was that uh, you should enter onto the ship and you should get shipwrecked onto the island with the rest of the crew. Um, that just kind of made sense. It just like it kind of instantly clicked in that way. And we wanted th- to kind of 
um, do that as the onboarding experience. Whereas in Cuckoo's Nest, we had you put on gowns and you're checked in as a patient in the hospital. Yeah. And with Cuckoo's Nest, we were able to draw a lot from um, the 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 book book. as the original source material. Um, With Shakespeare, it was a little different because we were just drawing from The Tempest. Um, And the audience role in The Tempest became shipwrecked sailors. Um, so I just feel like the, the sandbox that we had to play with, it didn't like construe itself exactly to doing the same dumb show as we had with um, Cuckoo's Nest. There's also- we didn't have, whereas in Cuckoo's Nest, we were able to play with all of the characters and really build upon the backstory of Ruckley that was we took directly from the book. Um, whereas we, we weren't able to do that with this show. And I think it became, well, who, what story do we tell in the pre-show? And then it became the island, the story of the island. Um, and using our set pieces because we were constrained by the amount of actors that we could use, we really had to make our set work. Yeah, so well, that's why it's different. Uh, yeah, a, a couple a couple of things that limiting factors that are less fun from a design perspective, but are important production considerations. Number one, Cuckoo's Nest was not a equity union show, and this is a, an actors' equity union show, so there are limitations to what we could do with actors. Um, this is also a co-production between two companies, and so we. You know, everything was uh, a negotiation, um, and we have, you know, we're, we're having to, uh, our director, Ben Dunnenberg, who's the head of Shakespeare Center, this is his first time working in this format, and so everything was uh, a conversation, a negotiation, an educational um, uh, m- moment, and so there was, you know, I, I'm, I'm hedging, there was definitely controversy on the team, there was definitely um things that that we in in the after hours pure after hours version of the show that we would have done that because we're co-producing we can't do and they are you know funding this project which is you know amazing that they're putting their money yeah. towards an immersive piece but it definitely well and it's uh, also it's yeah. also their audience right Cor- you know and so like there's a bit of like introducing like there's actually like sort of like there's like three audiences here right like yeah. there's there's the built-in shakespeare center audience there's y'all's audience and then there's you know because like, the, the ticket, fever crowd and the fever crowd yeah the tickets are on fever and and fever you know i think graham even said they bring the events crowd right the folks who are like you know like oh i did you know i went and got like five drinks inside an intimate candlelight you know uh cathedral thing like what is this like and, and there's they're coming in not necessarily knowing what what they're gonna get right yeah so we kind of had to we we always design our experience as we say for like three levels of people waiters swimmers and divers um which comes from like the theme park kind of way of designing them for things um and so yeah we definitely that was our our first consideration into creating this and i think that was also a a lessons learned from cuckoo's nest where people people really loved the pre-show like there were some people that loved the show hated the 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 show itself um uh but there are some people that really hated it too because there were people that were came coming for the um just kind of they wanted to take a seat and not interact with actors and they hated being bombarded by our actors and so i think this at least um it's a little bit more self-driven so you have actor interaction in the ship experience but once you're on the island if you don't want to talk to an actor you do not have to at all um so it's a little bit more self-exploratory and then one change that we made from Cuckoo's Nest to this one was the time slots. So um, that if you really didn't want any of the bigger immersive interactive parts, you could essentially kind of skip it and go straight to your seat. But you still have to do the, the, you still the, have to do the Everyone the does the ship, right? Yeah, but the ship also, like, you can easily, we have seats in there. You can take a seat and you can just kind of be a, pat, a, a gazer, a watcher, rather than 
partaking if you really want to. Well, one of the nice things about the ship is that, you know, it is the show. Yeah. Right? Like, it's like yeah. there's, there's a little bit of run up and then you hit the text and it's a fully functional scene and it's like, it's it's an immersive staging of that scene in, in, a, in a real way. And then I imagine, because I got to be part of like a first group going through, I imagine for the folks who are you know, in the last group, it's like, all right, you get that. And then you, you, you walk through the tunnel and then time to take your seat, you know, like no, no time for shenanigans running around, you know, tapping in it, you know, tapping NFC. I almost said NFT. (laughs) NFT, NFC. One's cool. One's not. Guess which one's cool. Uh, (laughs) Tapping, tapping your NFC markers and kind of, you know, leading all up to a little, you know, a little Easter egg, as it were. Like mm-hmm. it, it's an Easter egg hunt that you've that you've got going on here. Oh yeah, yeah. Sorry, what was the question? <laughs> that, was <laughs> question. that was that was me. Like that was me recapping. I mean, it's it's sort of like it is interesting because like it does come down to like designing for those different yeah those different yeah I think it's right? so whereas a lot of people when they design an immersive show you design for an immersive crowd right um and the thing is like we're not designing blackout like we're not <laughs> we're not putting <laughs> um a paper bag over your head and then taking you to a room and you know interrogating you for an hour it's it's much less in intensive than that but it's designed to be that way it's designed to kind of like be a, a, a medium ground and interstitial between between both worlds and and you can't really it's as much as you get you want to put into it is what you get out of it so on that note i mean because you have all these different types of people coming through what's what's been the reaction so far like are, are you getting surprised by who amongst the audience members are are, are digging in or is there patterns of any I- kind I'm, I get to be in the, I, I'm typically one of the house staff crew on the ship, uh, and I, I usually work the sail, and so I've been kind of... So I get, one of the things about Graham as a producer, like, he's he's in there in the scrum. He was literally, like, the second person I saw, you know, when I came in the other night, and he was working. I thought he was subbing for somebody, but no, that's what you do I, every night. We're all, I feel like we're always one person short-staffed, so I, I guess technically I am. Well, but, these days, I mean, that's um, just the normal. But I, I, I like being on site and being part of the show. Right now, I'm as I'm we par- speak, Graham is yeah. wearing a beret <laughs> from our show. Yeah, he's, um, in, he's partially in costume. But like, no, for example, today's matinee, um, which is you know, once again, it's really funny because you'll have like your old traditional matinee audience, and then like women in like clubbing gear and like stiletto heels for a, a two o'clock matinee of the Tempest, oh which is I, I love. But I'm I'm always surprised by who uh, I can get to play. And today, for example, we had. You know, there was the, the 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 oldest, slowest, least mobile, most likely to be traditional theater fans in the room who I thought were, were I was like, oh, they're going to hate all of this. Were the first people to jump on the sail. We're pointing out all of the cool things when like the smoke was coming out from below deck. And I talked to them a few times throughout the show, and they they were some of the biggest fans I think of the show, and then gave us a standing ovation today. Were the first people standing up. So one of the I, what I think I'm noticing with this, and what has changed since Cuckoo's Nest is I think the concepts of non-traditional staging, immersive, more interactive styles of theater are catching on in a more mainstream way because I feel like the more traditional theater audiences are embracing this uh, to a degree that I didn't necessarily expect. Um, we've had very little pushback from, 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 from the traditional theater community for this piece. I mean, part of, part of the luck there is like you label it right up top that this is going to be immersive so like people we did for cuckoo's nest too though yeah but also maybe it's kind of like changed you know how people you know think of it but 
it's funny because like you guys are doing this right now and then like Boston Lyric Opera is doing, you know, a piece called Bluebeard's, Bluebeard's Castle Four Songs. And the director of that is Anne Bogart, who's like, yeah. you know, a legendary American director, you know, was like one of the co-founders of, you know, Suzuki's, you know, theater company here in the United States. And they have you have someone like that who, you know, is in is in the, you know, the the, the late mastery stage of their career playing around with immersive elements like like experimenting for their audiences and you have you know a company that's been here for 30 years starting to to play around and experiment it 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 does feel like we're in a different era and and i don't i don't know like if it's made more possible by the pandemic we just went through and like people want something different or just I feel like that yeah. it could be partially due to that like people are looking for experiences they want to get out of their house more than ever i yeah. feel like and and also just the need for like not just like norm then just have a content thrown at you because we've got an unlimited supply mm-hmm. of content yeah it's, it's the connection i think this hybrid style you know what i i've always prior to doing more immersive styles of work at an intimate theater and i loved intimate theater because even more so than in a large scale proscenium house there's that direct energy exchange between audience and performance i think that's probably in my opinion why why a lot of us d- are drawn to immersive because the energy exchange between audience and, and performer is just absolutely put on steroids and an immersive. But I, I think mm. perhaps some of the traditional theater audiences are starting to get that feeling as well. Yeah. I think we're always surprised by like who gets really into it too. Cause like, it's always really f- my favorite part of coming to the show is getting to watch people walk around the stage and explore everything. And I would say the vast majority gets out of their seats and is, is, is exploring and i also see them helping each other solve the puzzles yeah. too which is something i really it's like really groups fun. that didn't come together are, are all sitting there and, and helping each other work 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 and solve the the the, the island it's definitely a way to get to know your fellow audience members <laughs> yeah i was really surprised at, like how many people were like like all in in caliban's cave together right there's also something fun about you know if you know a lot of I mean, a good number of people who come to a Shakespeare piece, like they've seen it, they've seen it before, they've read it in school, like they know it. And, and Tempest is one of the ones that's that's more popular, right? Mm-hmm. Like, and and there's there's so many speeches that are just like kind of exist in the ether of of the culture, um, and and to watch people get to like explore, like oh, it's Caliban's cave, like I know I know where this is, or like oh look, there's 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 Prospero's book, you know, those little bits, even if it's something that you know you aren't fully conscious of when you're going in like there's something batting around the back of your head going like oh this feels familiar and you get to watch it be embodied in a way that 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 you don't normally get to yeah i think there's something for people that have seen the tempest a million times because they get to experience it in a completely different way and they do get to have those interactions prior to the show to be like seeing a celebrity you know in person a little bit (laughs) reincarnated um versus people that uh, have never seen the Tempest and have no idea what it's about are able to to learn um, prior to the show, kind of what the characters are and what story we're getting into. And I, I oh sorry no oh no please well no I was saying I think that's one of the really nice things about this co-production you know because Ben our the artistic director of Shakespeare Center has dedicated you know the last forty years of his life to Shakespeare and Shakespeare's text and performance of Shakespeare's text. I personally never worked on a Shakespeare piece, so I think being able to come at it and say. You know, a lot of the times when I see Shakespeare, the first act, I'm always, there's four people who have A first names and I, I, I'm trying to, keep, you know, I'm trying to read the synopsis in my program to catch up. And so we sort of approached it like, 
what would we need in order to as an audience member in order to be able to jump right into the show without missing a beat and really get engaged from 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 the get-go and so i think that is is a large factor in the design is trying to help you know almost sort of give a study guide to the audience of, of what they're going to beyond the fun of experiencing mm-hmm. these worlds really help them understand the the characters relationships objectives uh where we are at the beginning of of the show um and that's we also do student matinees and we've done it for both middle schoolers and high schoolers and and um i, I you know i if i was in, in sixth grade and going to see shakespeare i don't know how engaged i've been i, I would be but these kids are really, really engaged. And so I think that's a testament to Sarah's design. <laughs> when you were thinking about how many people you had to pulse through and and that you were doing it in shifts, how did that influence your design and sort of sort of the this sort of stations of the cross actually? Yeah, that, that influenced a lot of the design. Um I think so well we first got the like what is the area that we have in the lobby like how many people at a time can we put in the lobby and i think then we had our we had to hit a certain audience count to hit our ticket goal which was about like 160 170. so then we decided to have the three time slots with about 50 to 60 people per time slot um but then once you're on the island we have to accommodate you know up to 160 people running around Um, So we weren't able to do like a linear puzzle, which is kind of what we did with Cuckoo's Nest. It was very, here's your starting point and then there's your ending point and you have dots along the way, but you're going in a straight line. Whereas this show was designed, so it's more of a non-linear puzzle. So you have pretty much, you can start pretty much anywhere on the set um, and you're uh, you're gathering these symbols um, and then you take it you kind of put them together and then you take it to the end. But it was designed in such a way that you could start anywhere um, and kind of be onboarded anywhere. And it's not A to B to C, but you can kind of do it in multiple orders to right. prevent um, bottlenecking, hopefully. <laughs> and, and there's and each station has a different kind of puzzle and you, you have to transform elements of the puzzle in order to add up the whole piece. And I thought, I thought that was particularly interesting given, you know, the nature of Prosper's art that, you know, magic is about transformation and mm-hmm. this idea of like taking the disparate pieces, putting them all together, but then also taking them the next step further and the next step further. And even, and I won't give away what the button is, but there's, there's, you know, there's spectacle parts of the button, but there's also, there's a participatory part of the button that kind of loops back into narrative. And I thought that was a really nice grace note in terms of, tying it all together and and kind of making it feel like you have a complete unit of story that if you complete with enough spare time you can feel good about and then go get a cocktail yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah and that was the goal that it would take about like 20 to 30 minutes to complete so that if you come in the seven o'clock or 720 time slots you should have enough time to finish it um, whereas our 740 time slot, you'd maybe have enough time to finish one of the puzzles right. and, and get a cocktail. But then also you, people can still kind of muck around during yeah. intermission. Right? Yes. Yeah. That was a choice too, to keep it open during intermission. Cause a lot of people finish like right before we're about to start the show. So <laughs> we, we don't want them to walk away with a sour taste in their mouth. So we, we kept it open during intermission, which is something we didn't do during Cuckoo's Nest, but for, I think a very obvious reason, <laughs> Oh yeah, <laughs> which is, it didn't make sense. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think all the puzzles, they do have a lot of like thinking behind, like narrative thinking behind it. Really, it came down to, well, the show is all about Prospero. 
like you know he's the he's the big guy once the show starts but i think as after hours the stories that we were really interested in telling were everyone who grew up on the island mm. and the kind of like what their perspectives on what was what was going on was and what was their perspective on prospero so we really that's what kind of influenced the the three different weenies that we've been calling them or structures uh which is miranda sandbox caliban's cave and ariel's hollow so we really wanted to use the pre-show as time to tell those character stories and kind of like their relationship to each other and to prospero and being kind of like the only quote-unquote natives of the island whereas the, prospero is not a native one, one of the things with the tempest that i know is was very important to a lot of us working on the show is the tempest Without getting too political about it, I think it's it's safe to say that Tempest does have a lot of commentary on colonialism, um, even dating back to Shakespeare's time. And the show often, you know, puts Prospero in 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 the in the hero role as he's trying to get revenge on the people who who usurped him. But in the process, Prospero oppresses Caliban, Ariel, and even and Miranda to as well in, in different ways. And so I think telling the story of the people that, you know, while the, the, the show really focuses on Prospero's sort of redemption arc, I think we really wanted to, to draw attention to these characters that were, were sort of... Um, uh, had their power taken Had their power by taken Prospero. by Prospero. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and injustice is done to him, and then he kind of, like, pays the favor back by doing injustice to others. Yeah. So, yeah. You know, like, the, like, a lot is out of balance uh, on the island as a whole. Yeah, and and to the actors' credit, because I know we haven't even talked, I think mm-hmm. our Prospero Chris Butler does a really remarkable job of, of of portraying Prospero with those shades of gray. Yeah, no, I mean the production. I mean we're 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 not going to touch on like the the core of the production itself uh, so much because you know, we we don't have the director of like that part of it, uh, in the mix today. But I did find it interesting that like the, the all of it sort of did manage to harmonize really well in terms of what you had in the, in the pre-show, what you had in terms of the built environment, this idea of the immersive as an extent, the, the immersive narrative elements as an extension of the built environment and the built environment informing, you know, literally the stage upon which the story takes place. Mm-hmm. And like, as people look for what is the formula of the intersection between traditional theater and very, you know, active, intimate, you know, fully experiential, immersive. This feels like, and not in a bad way, the, the path of least resistance, but that doesn't mean there isn't a lot that can be done with it. That's that's more of a comment. Than I, a I, no, no, I, I mean, I, yeah, I think, no, that's, I think that's essentially our thesis statement yeah. here is, is how do how do we make how do we make immersive theater palatable for traditional theater audiences or audiences not well, used it goes, to it and, it, it, and, and it vice palatable. versa. It goes beyond palatable, yeah. though, right? You know, it's like, it's possible to make it just palatable, right? How, you know, how, do, we, how do we create an engaging experience yeah. without overwhelming audiences that are first timers? A hundred percent. Yeah, I mean, I think the the thing that we're really interested in is, is taking theater and making it an event. Like, it's a night out. It's mm. a full experience that you're going to. It's not just... You're not just going to come to this theater and sit in a seat and watch a stodgy show. It's like a whole experience. Yeah, yeah. it shouldn't feel like a chore. I mean, one yeah. thing classic in LA is like, my friend's in a show. Do you want to go? What kind of friend is this? Like, how, <laughs> how important is this friend to you that you want to drag me along to the thing? And I'm just like, I'm pissed off a bunch of people with this. But we've all been there. You've been there. You've also done it to me, but we've all been there. Right? <laughs> you know, we've all been oh, in yeah. every part of this, every part of this formula. We've all been in. 
and and that's the thing that's kind of I mean, definitely was the case with Cuckoo's Nest and and is the case here as well, right? Down to the cocktails. Graham, tell us about the cocktails. Oh sure, the yeah. Cocktails so, are amazing. The cocktails are yeah. The co- I, I I like to say I think these are probably the best cocktails you ever had at a theater. Our, our friends at Spirit Guides Cocktails, which actually started essentially as the cocktail program for for Cuckoo's Nest, where they did cocktails and blood bags and syringes and things like that. Oh, they weren't um, a company before then. They were just they they were they had catered two weddings. Oh my god! Uh, and so they really wow. started as Cuckoo's Nest was their first big thing. What, what were these weddings like? Because like the Cuckoo's Nest ones were like into in, you know, the blood bags and everything. Like, that was pretty wild. Were the weddings also pretty wild? I'll ask them. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but yes, no, they're they're good. They're good friends of ours, and and so they've they've worked with us. They've worked with us. We did last five years where we had a cocktail pairing with the show. Um, but yeah, the, the the program is is really excellent. They've done a lot. Uh, they have an evolving cocktail menu that changes at intermission. They have uh, a, a cocktail that basically has an entire show that the tempest experience flaming amazement experience there's fans and special effects which is very strong as 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 no and i learned yeah by accident (laughs) you're the one who went for it i was just content Um, to have a little thing in a bottle and then we also have uh uh pre-batched cocktails and sort of uh flasks which i think are kind of fun and add to the experience. i think that's going to be a huge thing going forward for like los angeles like little like go and get a flask at, <laughs> at a show or a bar you know well, like this is just this is just the way now mm-hmm. it's I, so good it, it is really good and i also think one thing i just want to give them credit for is all of the cocktails v- tie in very in- intentionally and very narratively into the story so like at, uh, yeah, it's like rum cocktails is like the, the heart of it, and like you know, sailors drink rum, you know. But even even more than that, you know, one of the 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 drink at intermission has sack sherry in it and Milanese uh, uh, spirits, and in the play they're drinking sack sherry, yeah, which is yeah. Well, and and if you've never, I I, I I'm almost sad that you went not almost sad. Well, no, it's I've complicated feelings. Like I'm glad you grabbed that one. I, I, if I had known there was a sherry sack one, I would have maybe tried to mess with it, because like sherry sack, it's something that gets drunk in Shakespeare a lot. Falstaff just downs gallons of it in the shows that Falstaff's in, um, and because of that, I I decided like back in my twenties to develop a taste for sherry sack, which is very difficult to do, because that's na- it's nasty. <laughs> it is not good. It is like. Not a great thing. I'm sure I'm offending some people who love it, but admit it, you develop the taste for it if you, like, you had to. And I did. I managed. I managed to get to the point where I liked it. And it's just such a bold thing to, like, say, like, we're going to make a cocktail with Sherry Sack. So I'm a little... A little sad I didn't get a chance to sample, but you know. Uh, well, Wait, they're, they're here tonight. Draft? If you want to try before you leave, <laughs> maybe. No, maybe, that's maybe. that's uh, that's uh, uh, Stefano's false idol. Oh, yeah. that comes out of intermission. Yeah. Oh. That there's, that there's a different trick in intermission. That's it's a classy move. It's a classy move. Mm-hmm. Nice. Yeah, I th- we we've tried some cool things with the cocktails this show that we're really excited about. Well, and that speaks to the whole idea of like making it making it a night out. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Know? The cocktails are definitely they they have their own design category. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I think yeah I think that's one thing that I noticed when working with Shakespeare Center. Ben and I have talked about this quite a bit. Is I think a traditional theater perspective, or not at least certain, particularly in the 70s and 80s in Peter Brook style theater is uh, design is really a passive part of the storytelling. Make sure the actors are seen, make sure the actors are heard. And I think inherently in immersive and in, in our perspective is, is design is a very active part and plays a very active role in storytelling, um, which I, I just assumed was the norm, but I'm, I'm realizing is, is not actually the case. 
I mean, there's all kinds of reasons for that. I mean, that 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 breaks down some like you know huge doors. I mean, some of it's that you know the tradition that Brooks was working in, um, you know, was pushing back against where spectacle had gotten to be too big, or you get like you know these very mechanistic productions. You know, mm-hmm. like just all those years of traditions of like you know. Like you know, E. Gordon Craig, you know the actors are marionettes, and then you have, of course, you know, then you get the method stuff coming through, and like the actors come to center, and then how do you do do the thing, and how are you doing these like really intense productions that maybe don't have the the funds to do, sure. you know, a lot of spectacle, and and what's fun about what's fun about immersive is because we're always out in the hinterlands, is like some things have these incredible design components, right? I mean, Punchdrunk's work is as much as it's choreography designed, as much as it's like, you know, throughput, you know, uh, driven, the des- the design, the physical and the audio design is a huge part of that. You People lose themselves for hours without ever seeing an actor in, in, in sometimes in their shows. And so we just get to, we get to have this fun sandbox where dialing different parts. Yeah, I mean, I think it comes down to like, because my world in like theme, themed entertainment, like we design stories without actors. I mean, we have cast members and sometimes you have walk around characters, but you're you're telling a story through the design elements um, more than having an actor in a script. And I, so, I think we're kind of like marrying those worlds as yeah. well. It's using architecture and set dressing and props to tell a story. And it can be tricky because, like, you know, uh, a really well done play, which can, you know, empower some great performances, the performative nature of the play can can really work against the experiential nature of a location, right? It's like the, the performance wants to be seen, it wants to demand your attention, and an experiential space wants to invite you to, like, mm-hmm. poke around the corners. You are the hero of right. the story, yeah. yeah. And, and those things can be, you know, at odds with each other. So finding a way to have them both happening in the same space, if not at the same time, then in in serial with each other is, is part of the design challenge you guys keep finding yourselves tackling. Absolutely, and I think even more so in, in this show because I think Ben really believes in... in you know, he wants the audience to be able to use their imagination to build the world of the show to a certain degree, and that that you know the active sh- the audience should have an active role in helping to you know create what is happening for themselves. But inherently, he, you know, so he was talking very minimalist and very abs- you know abstract, and you can do that in immersive, but you're kind. It, it's it's certainly not the easiest choice to make in it. You know, when we're we're setting out to create an immersive piece, so trying to balance those. The needs of the director with you know yeah. our, our you know sarah's needs of trying to wanting to create a satisfying um environmental based immersive design definitely proved proved to be an interesting challenge um which i think got resolved relatively well though i mean i think you guys walked the, the line pretty well i mean these things should be additive right like the i mean that's one of the things when you're working with a text like the Tempest because you know it is one of I don't want to say like the big five in Shakespeare but it's like it's definitely at the uh, at the top of the canon for in terms of what people know and their people's expectations and why you're coming to see the Tempest it's like you want to hear you know 
like our dreams are, are, are rounded by a little sleep, right? You know, our mm-hmm. lives are rounded by a little sleep, right? And what, in the, anyway, uh, I messed it up and then I started to do it right. But the point <laughs> is, the point is, you know, like you, you know these things and you want to see these things and, and, and you want, you want to watch this get drawn out. And so the idea of what, what could be done to sort of, you know, prime you, prep you, right? Like to fall deeper into the dream that is this show. And I and I would say like from you know my little dumb person can't remember the quotes right perspective I feel like you've you've done that you managed to like get you into the groove get you into the vibe of the show oh, get you into the world of the show without overwhelming you or without that thing where like for some people yeah like you know for, for some for some people in the cuckoo's nest like the the pre-show like upstage it was a lot up, yeah upstaged <laughs> upstaged the main show you're just like oh we've kind of done it you know like like this the, the other part was like kind of amazing like we're done now right it's like oh no we're gonna see the show again right um and here this strikes this strikes a balance between those those two poles right like you, you're walking that line of like you know and and some of it's the luck of of the script or not the or the design of the script because the shipwreck happens uh-huh. and it's such a different world than the island right yep. it's, it's one scene that happens you know and then you're done with it and so to have two worlds to get people through mm-hmm. is is really really good right right and I, I think i think that sort of hit the nail on the head of why the tempest was appealing to pursue for the style of production it's but i i also really appreciate you saying that because act one scene two which is the scene that the show really starts with it you know that the shipwreck is act one scene one but we really jump into the show in act one scene two is the longest scene in the play and also one of the most exposition heavy and arguably yeah. driest so i think we were all really concerned with you know for all of these audiences event going audiences people who don't normally see shakespeare to throw them into a 30 minute exposition heavy scene how are they going to respond to that the, it gets you know the, the last scene in the act is very funny and the the, the second act has a lot of more spectacular moments and, and comedic moments, but it doesn't, the, the first 30 minutes of the show. It's backstory. It's backstory. Yeah. It's hard. It is, it is one of the hardest jobs in all of Shakespeare. It's two actors with one of them being like, Oh, let me tell you the story of our lives. <laughs> let me give you all the exposition. Yeah. You, need you may to remember the these show. parts from when you were a child and here are the stuff I was keeping from you and like how to make that dramatic. I mean, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a difficult challenge straight up. And always has been like that show is the show's never been. I mean, when, when people nail it, it's amazing because it, sh- it should not be able to be nailed. Uh, and 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 it's it's kind of really fun to have this, you know, the prologue set up this experiential part so that by the time you get to that scene, you've been in the world for 20 minutes to an hour. You're already in the show. Right. And so when Ariel and Caliban come on and you see their dynamic with Prospero in that act one scene two, you already feel like you have a connection with them, even if you haven't gotten to directly communicate with them. Yeah. You're already, you're already vibing with it. So, um, we've been at this for like 40 minutes now. Any, anything else you, you want to let everyone know or shout out to everybody as they start to test the lights? Oh, the, yeah. the lights, oh, lights came, came on. on. Oh. <laughs> Now it's end. all magical. Yeah, it's really good. I'm saying like we're, we're finishing up and then the lights came on in the little hollow that we've been in, in the dark this entire time. Yeah, I'm trying to think of my final thoughts. Do you have any final thoughts? <laughs> I mean, I have a lot of final thoughts. <laughs> I think, you know what I think it's time for before we give our final thoughts? Uh, a JT moment with KJ. Oh. <laughs> oh, hey guys. <laughs> yeah, you've been, you've been, you've been silent, which 
I don't, I don't, I don't think of you as silent. No, I'm not usually silent. Yeah. No, but I mean, but this has really been about the immersive. Uh, it, yeah, yeah. yeah I, I, I have a louder voice, so no, I, not, I don't, don't want to blow it out. No, um, no, you're good, you're good. But yeah, no. So it's, I mean, really, this is about like the immersive design and talking about through those things. Um, you know, my contribution is just talking about like our events crowd and bringing in different people who don't usually go to see theater, but they're hungering for ways to get out of their house and have new experiences with their friends. Um, and that's kind of like been my mission with After Hours is building theater for those kind of people because they're out there and, and they're spending a lot of money and doing a lot of fun things with fun people, but they're not going to get, going to go see theater often. And so how do we really hook into that drive for experience, but then still give them great culture with theater? Okay. So, but are you, are you, are you, do you feel, do you, how are you measuring if you're transforming them or not? Right. So like, like, you know, Graham mentioned like the folks who are like set up in their, you know, ready to go out clubbing clothes right. show, for, show right. for the matinee. How, how, how do you track whether, you know, that person that becomes a theater goer? I mean, I don't know. I don't know if that's my goal is to transition them into a theater goer, but to give them a great night that they could still talk about for months, days, hopefully years to come. Um, because I, that's not necessarily my goal. It's like, I don't want to build more theater goers. I just want to fill our cup with more experienced wonders. Fair. Um, oh wait, no, you go. Oh no, I and I would say that I I do I do think I want to. In, in this is why we're a good team. Yeah. Um, is that we all have slightly different. Screw the theater no, goers, no, says no, but, KJ. No, but, but, but I think you know <laughs> Graham's like no, I want to make more of them. No, Graham, we're, just pick it up where wherever you left off. Where I said, oh no, it just stopped. Uh, so, Graham, we just had a little snafu, but like. You you were grabbing the mic, uh, literally from KJ. <laughs> it's only two mics. That sounds very dramatic. I'm like yeah. jumping in front of the mic. No, 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 no. I think KJ's perspective is 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 very valid and 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 definitely part of part of the ethos. But I think for me, developing new and di more diverse and uh, more broad audiences for theater in LA is sort of my reason for doing all of this. Um, and I, I I'm not so um, precious in terms of what the definition of theater is. You know, I, I think immersive definitely you know fits into that and in these hybrid experiences but i, I want to create uh i want to help turn la into more of a uh, theater going and if narrative events going culture mm -hmm. like you know we there, Ooh, you i know, like narrative events that's right. interesting well you have i mean you have you know london london and new york and, and city, cities that are most often associated with theater they've been around for, you know for hundreds of years prior to the beginnings of television and film and radio and things of that sort and and we haven't and we so and, and and we're a lot more associated with television yeah. and and movies and ge geographically yeah. much more spread out and yeah. so so how do we develop a really strong arts go live events and arts going culture and I think hopefully an event like this is perhaps my hypothesis for one model of what that can be and and, and hopefully that you know I I mean being for all of after hours well I think something that I, going back to KJ what you talk about a lot is like. As like so, we're, we all have theater backgrounds. We're all theater kids here, um, and always it's always been really hard to get people to see our shows. Like the theater community can feel small sometimes. Sometimes you feel like you know the audience is smaller because we're kind of um, cannibalizing each cannibalizing other. our own ticket yeah. sales. Um, but then and or people complain about prices like oh like sixty dollars is such an expensive ticket because we're, see the we're show. all broke. You know because it's a bunch of theater exactly because theater shows everyone's broke. Yeah, there's right. Broke. Yeah, yeah. But then you won't bat an eye at paying hundreds of dollars to go to Coachella you don't like you you pay so much money to see Taylor Swift in concert like 
Um, so basically, what I know what you yeah, talk you, a lot. Uh, what you pay in Ticketmaster fees is what oh you'd be gosh, paying. Yeah, is what you'd be paying one, to see the show. Yeah, right? one ticket. Yeah. Um, so how do we get those type of people to feel like the same worth is appropriate to a theater show? You know, like that. that yeah. So they, of course they're going to spend all this money on a music festival, but then why wouldn't they come to something that is equally or even more rewarding? Well, and this is just my business brain talking, but like my my thing with that is that's not a you know, pricing is never a price problem. It's always a value problem. You know, people don't necessarily see the value of going out to see a theater show some nights, which is unfortunate because theater has a lot to give to the community, to arts, to people, um, just on a holistic level. Um, but they will go see Taylor Swift because they see the value in seeing Taylor Swift in concert. Or to go see the opera. I mean, I was remembering, I was looking at, they were doing uh, some of the some of the ring cycle, I think, or something here in town. And I was like, oh, I should finally check that out. And I saw... The ticket prices, and I was like, "My mm-hmm. God!" And and just all live events, the tickets are so are so increasingly inflated. Right. Yeah. Well, it's not that they're. I mean, yeah, for Taylor Swift, you could say they're very inflated. But like, even for this, it's like you know, we're we're doing our best to make it accessible, but costs are still what they are. You know, to put on yeah. beautiful live events. Um, but that being said, is that by tapping into into an events crowd, um, it, it's a crowd that doesn't necessarily go to see theater. We're not cannibalizing our own. We're hopefully expanding mm. that audience. Yeah, yeah, I think it's about not cannibalizing the existing theater crowd, inviting the existing theater crowd to see the show, but yeah, bringing in a new the new events crowd. Right. And so I think, you know, I, I there's an earlier point in this conversation where it's like, you know, even when, when we sell our, our show, you know, we, we say, hey, come see our show. Like, you know, you'll get shiprocked on an island. You'll have some wonderful cocktails. You'll, you know, discover puzzles and uncover the secrets. And by the way, there, there just happens to be Shakespeare here, too. Yeah. You know, and, and so... And a world- World class piece of Shakespeare. In a world class piece of Shakespeare. Shakespearean actors in America. My gosh, yeah, yeah. But but what's, what's interesting about this one versus like Cuckoo's Nest is, you know, you're not necessarily coming for the Shakespeare, but you're staying for it, and people actually turn out to be loving it. You know, because we we can read all the reviews that reviewers are saying about this show. And a lot of them are just absolutely adoring the you're actors. You're not talking about you're saying like the fever, the fever right? Yeah, yeah. No, because because fever asks every customer that buys the sh- that buys a ticket what do they thought of the show, and they ask them for like an actual written review. And so a lot of these written reviews are like, "Yo, I came for the puzzles and the cocktails, but I stayed for the Shakespeare, and I loved it." So which is which is really cool to see. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well. I believe they need us to move. Yeah. So <laughs> we're, it's a perfect chance, so a great note to end on. Yeah. KJ, thank you for jumping in. Graham and Sarah, thank you both for uh, holding down the fort here in the hollow. And, uh, and now we got to go with the technicians do what they do. Oh, there's the <laughs> Tempest sound. Oh, I think there's a storm coming. Once again, I want to thank KJ, Sarah, and Graham for being our guests on the show. Check the show notes to see how you can see The Tempest, an immersive experience currently at the Shakespeare Center of Los Angeles. Well, we dumped a whole lot of news at you at the at the start of the episode. All of uh, all of those announcements uh, of the new speakers. Uh, the summit's really shaping up this year, and uh, uh, you know we were we were talking with folks for for quite some time, and finally got around to the point where we could announce. And I I am very stoked that we have Moment Factory in the mix, that we have Riot Games in the mix, and and I want to dwell on that. That one for for just another second, because, you know, 
if you are in, say, uh, you know, just in the theater world and you don't engage with gaming, or maybe you're in themed entertainment and you don't engage with gaming, you, you might not know just how big Riot Games is. Um, so when when this became a possibility, I just, aside from being, you know, into what happened with Arcane, both the the live show that was done in conjunction with Secret Cinema and with the Netflix series, which is just a beautiful piece of animation if you haven't seen it. Uh, you know, up until that point, I I knew Riot. I knew League of Legends. I, I knew how popular they were. I, I knew that when they do their big annual you know, esport championship rounds that they often like debut brand new songs with elaborate music videos. And those songs go on to become incredibly popular and can help launch people's music careers. Like already from the old transmedia standpoint, you know, it's just an incredible, incredible company in terms of the level of cultural impact they are able to make beyond their core gaming offerings and that they went into the immersive space at all, that they hired Wendy coming out of Disney Imagineering, coming off of working on Galactic Star Cruiser, of being the head of live entertainment for Star Cruiser and bringing her over to have the role of you know, the director of IP management, I want to get the title right, so I check my notes right there, that they're operating in this way is fascinating to me and is this really fantastic sign that the kind of of thing we've been talking about for a long time where people with theater backgrounds, people with themed entertainment backgrounds, or like theater people who get themed entertainment backgrounds, because Wendy's a director, right? This pathway through that world into this this bigger, you know, I mean, it's not the theater isn't big, but in, into these sort of titanic level intellectual properties, these story worlds that millions of people engage with around the planet, that that you can see someone's pathway and that that's opening up doors for all kinds of artists, all kinds of creators and producers to play in this space. It just, it just makes me so excited. It makes me so thankful that we get to see these arcs play out and that we get to show what is on the minds of these creatives, of these executives, of these companies as they're looking at immersive as a place to expand. And in an entirely different way, what's going on with Plato Learning, with summer camps, with bringing immersive. I taught summer camp. I taught Shakespeare summer camp for a couple of years. Some of the some of the favorite summers of my life were were getting to stage Shakespearean plays with you know both kids and teenagers like it's you haven't lived till you watched small children do Julius Caesar oh it's just just delightful delightful hilarious in the extreme and also just 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 a joy in and of itself um and to know that there's folks out there who are taking what's being developed who who are who are 
walking down the same pathways that the folks in the immersive creative scene are, for, but doing it for education. And, you know, that's, that's incredibly exciting. That's incredibly fascinating. And of course, we are gaga about Moment Factory and everything they do and all the places that they do it. And, you know, we've, we've already had like initial talks with Thomas, who is very excited about sort of the three pillars we've lined out this year. And we're going to talk some more next week about the shape of the show because people are coming and say, well, what's the schedule going to be like? And what's this and what's that? And so we're going to get down more into that next week, um, both in terms of what we're blasting out. And also I'll probably talk about it more here at the back end of the podcast. But really, as always, the whole point of this isn't just to like, you know, send a bunch of information at everyone. It's to get everybody in the same room and get folks talking. So you're going to hear a lot about that when we start breaking down the salons, when we start talking about uh, what, you know, what town hall is going to be about. So much of the time at the next stage isn't just about hearing from these incredible speakers, listening to interesting, interesting panels or going to the workshops. A lot of the time is spent in small groups, talking together, talking with the folks on those panels. You know, there's there's only 200 badges that get sold or given away. There's, you know, about another 100 people total between the people working behind the scenes, the speakers, and a couple other invited guests who are, who are going to be there. But this is a very participatory event, and it is intimate, you know, um, and and we, we keep it going that way for the entire length of the run. So... If you've been sitting on the fence, you've been wondering, you've been like, well, I don't know, just know there's a few more big things that are getting the final, the deals being finalized on. And I'm hoping that in the next week or so, we're going to be able to start talking about some of those. Uh, and there's also actually a bunch of stuff that's in the shoot that we, that honestly, we just don't have the headshots for people yet. Uh, but also, there's some folks we've announced we're going to start explaining in, in, in what capacity it's all going to kind of work together. Uh, and I'm, I'm just excited to bring you all through. Uh, and I hope to see you there. We've only got two months to go. So if you've been thinking about it, just, you know, trust me, uh, or, or talk to the people who've been to the events we've run before. Um, that's, that's the surest sign. There's a lot of people who, who love what we do. So come on down. All right. Enough of that. Um, there's something else uh, on the level of getting everybody together. Uh, and you'll see this one kind of breaking uh, wide, maybe even uh, when this drops or over the weekend or, or if nothing else on Monday. Uh, I'm just waiting on, again, some some <laughs> some some links to come my way. Um, we're teaming up with the Themed Entertainment Association. Uh, and this is this is put together by Brett Jackson of, of Imagine Narrative Wells. Uh, we're teaming up. There's going to be a TEA uh, meets Immersive Experience Institute and our wonderful community of creators uh, event happening here in Los Angeles. Uh, it's going to be on the last Thursday of the month. Uh, if it's not in the show notes, then keep an eye out uh, in the newsletter and early next week for more information about it. Uh, this is going to be another great opportunity uh, to get folks together and to, for the themed entertainment folks to meet the immersive folks and sort of kick off the season and get things rocking and rolling 
Um, it's just, it's time, it's time to start bringing everybody back together on the regular, uh, both on the local level and wider and keep an eye out. Uh, I know the New York team is putting together the next New York meetup in not too long. I think they're going to get something up in May. I get to sit on those emails and, and watch that take shape in front of my eyes. All right. All of that. So much more. Many things to come. Um, this has been the show. I'm going to do the credits. The associate producer of No Persinium is Parker Sella. Music for No Persinium is by Chris Porter of the Speakeasy Society and Solar the Podcast. I got to see Chris this week. It was good. It's been a while. Special thanks to Siobhan O'Loughlin for voicing our intro. And this podcast is written, edited, hosted, produced, blah, 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 by yours truly. I'm Noah Nelson. And until next time, I'll see you at the show. I'm recording just for, for legal purposes. I have to tell you guys I'm recording and I've got the levels and um, I'm going to. So how do you say your last name again? Because I always mess it up. Beal. Beal. Yeah. Okay. Jessica And Wetterhunt. Like, like, for... Wetterhunt. I know that. Wetterhunt. I just want to make sure I don't say belly because I think I did that once. So. <laughs> Sarah Belly. Yeah, Sarah Belly. It's Beal. Like Jessica Beal. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's the easiest way to remember it. Um, uh, although that's a stretch now, like Gen Zers don't know. Like it's like you could like show the entire like One Tree Hill like you know cast to like Gen Zers. It's like Gen Zers don't know this one trick. You know, Xennials uh, don't know who. So anyway, Seventh uh, Heaven. Yeah, Seventh Heaven. Was Seventh Heaven not One Tree Hill? Is that what you? I can't remember. Was she in both. No, no. She, I, maybe you're right because I stopped after Dawson's Creek. Like I wasn't watching. I think she was on Seventh. I wasn't Heaven. watching WB anymore. I think she was right. the oldest sister. Because on Seventh, Seventh Heaven. Heaven was the was the reli- super religious one, and then like she was in Maximum that caused a scandal. You are correct. Oh, yes. And Leo, Leo, Leo also started in that one too. <laughs> Wait, Leo DiCaprio. No, no, DiCaprio was was in Seventh Heaven. DiCaprio was on Growing Pains. It was. Uh, and then th- what you're thinking of is the fact that Kirk Cameron is like, uh, is is a you know super right wing oh. Christian who appears in all the Left Behind yeah, movies. Yeah, you're right. This is this is the best back matter we've ever had. <laughs> <laughs> the backstory of Jessica Biel. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, if that's she, she was, goes, like, she, she was dating Justin Timberlake at the time. She's right? uh, married to Justin Timberlake. Oh, she's married to Justin. Yeah, has, has been for yeah. a decade. Really? Oh wow. KJ is a huge Justin yeah, Timberlake if you fan. Get if you want to hot takes JT. on JT, JT and JB, JT and JB, Justin Timberlake T. You, you, you go to KJ for JT and JB. JTT. JT. <laughs> yeah. No, J- JTT is Justin John, Jonathan Taylor Thomas. Thomas. Yeah. 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 So, well, hi guys! Welcome to uh, <laughs> welcome to Millennial Television Hour. Here uh, we have with us. I might leave this. <laughs> this is the best. This may go in. Um, all right, we are sitting on the. St- <laughs> okay, we're just gonna have to laughs. Uh, we're sitting on the stage of. Uh, we are here at the Shakespeare Center of Los Angeles.